Hey now, welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a podcast all about the people, the wine, and the vibe of Paso Robles wine country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. It's like there's always some housekeeping to take care of, but I am just so excited to get into today's show. I want to get right into it. First, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really, really means a lot. I mean, the power you hold in those little fingertips of yours, it's very powerful. I love when you rate five stars and subscribe, but I feel like we get to connect a little bit more when you take the time to write a review. Thanks to Newport Ernie for chiming in. He says, as a member of no less than seven wine clubs, damn, it was great to hear all of the backstories. Adam does a fabulous job of putting his subjects at ease, and I felt I was actually in the room during the interviews. Thank you, and keep up the great work. Thank you, and cheers. Well, thank you, Ernie, and cheers. That is about the greatest compliment you can give to a podcast like this. I appreciate you, and I'm glad, because Ernie, you are right here with us, and you listen, you are here with us as well. I encourage you to share the podcast if you're a regular, but if you're new, go ahead, check out the previous conversations we've had while you're driving, maybe mowing the lawn, doing some housework. These are all great combos. They're still fresh and they are a lot of fun. Now, if you remember back to episode three, we asked why Paso? And we talked to Austin Hope and we also talked to Eric Jensen of Booker. We offer something that no other wine region in the United States does. And it is that camaraderie that simpleness where when you come here you breathe and you say all right i don't have to drive around in a fake lamborghini with a rolex and act like someone i'm not i'm here now well eric must have liked the podcast so much because he decided to start one of his own and at the end of our conversation here today i'm going to tell you how you can find it and also when you can hear yours truly as a guest on that podcast so the tables will be turned and honestly the idea of getting interviewed by eric jensen of booker sounds like so much fun so more on that later Today's episode is all about the small but mighty. We're going to chat with two brands who don't make a huge amount of wine, but what they make is certainly special. It is certainly popular. It's honest and it's some of the best Paso has to offer. I just had so much fun with these two guys off the air. And as you're going to hear, we had plenty of fun on the air. And I hope after you hear these two conversations, you really make your move, lean into these brands and other brands that are just like this, small but mighty. Don't ever be afraid or shy away from that small producer. You may stumble upon something very special. And sometimes you stumble upon them before anyone else does. You get great access to some great wine and great people before they blow up. Now, both these brands celebrate their own insane popularity. They're both set in beautiful backdrops of Paso's West Side, and they both make just insane wine with a unique style, though, all their own. Today, we have Scott Holly on from Torin Wine, also Sherman Thatcher of Thatcher Winery. Both very different paths of where wine took them, but both led to Paso. Scott and his wife, Vikel, built up Torin, and as it became more popular and Scott's winemaking more revered locally, he started consulting for other wineries as a winemaker and was even the winemaker at law for a while and built that program. He has consulted for a lot of very well-respected Paso names, and I can't wait to see how that dynamic we hear often a consulting winemaker, right? But how does it play into the understanding of the area and the ability in ways for more people, even outside his brand, Torin, to taste and appreciate his interpretation of these Paso grapes? Sherman Thatcher, Thatcher Wines, he used to visit here. He and his wife, Michelle, at one time, they thought, if anything, they'd maybe just make a bunch of different kinds of Zen. But what's so cool about him, he is as great as they come in finding some off-the-beaten-path varietals like Cinso, Negrette, Chenin Blanc, and showcasing just how spectacularly well they can grow right here in Paso. It's amazing. He and Daniel in the cellar are really pushing Paso in a lot of ways, and they are all great. Now, both of these guys, you will find out, as talented as they are, they don't mess with the grapes very much. They're not adding anything to the wine along the way. In fact, as far as the way, they're just trying to stay out of the way and let these grapes do their thing. 
you know, between you and I, I have loved getting the banter back and forth of the guests together. I hope you do too. Let me know as far as interviewing these guests separately or together. I know these guys were excited to see each other, so I had a blast doing both of these conversations at once. I hope you enjoy it. I arrive at Thatcher. Sherman has it all set up. He and Scott are catching up with each other on uh, all the crazy rainfall we had. They're talking about a hundred different things. I'm getting set up. And as I'm hitting record, I think we're talking about 2011 as a vintage because Scott brought a library wine with him from that year. So give me that moonshine. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is Get out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Well, it's fun, too, because... Paso, I thought the wines in Levin were amazing. Yeah. Yep. You know, but you go to other areas and they're like, oh my God, it was a train wreck. Uh It's kind of fun to see that, you know, we're talking about Paso being unique and all that kind of stuff. Um, Just stories of people talking, you know, downplaying Napa and all this. And, but like, wait a second, dude, we got 300 miles here, man. Right. Is it like 300 miles? The funny thing was all the reviewers, they plowed through Paso and we all got downgraded a little bit because it was 11. But in fact, 11 here, as Scott was saying, was a freaking was everyone's dream year. It was like 07. <laughs> it was like 07. But, yeah. yeah, which like long, cool, drawn out, you know, and things did get ripe, you know. Gary Everly says if you, can't, if you didn't make good wine in 07, you belong at a gas station. <laughs> yeah. 11 was pretty similar to that. You right. Know? And so, um, yeah, it's just kind of funny because it seemed like all the critics were already had a bad attitude yeah. from that year. And then... The wines, everyone down here is like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah they were, they were amazing. Awesome. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned 11. I, uh, just two days ago, I mm-hmm. texted uh, Maggie from Alta Kalina, and when we had done a Cork Dog show, mm-hmm. I had uh, gotten a bottle of the old 900 Syrah. So I opened up a 2011 and the uh, old 900 mm-hmm. Syrah like, uh, the other night, and it was really, really good. It was really, really good. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what's cool about Alta, because I was consulting for them at that time. Oh, wow. Uh, is, no, not 11. Because at 10, I went to law. But prior to, you know, yeah. prior to 2010. But the deal with those guys and their elevation, because law was the same deal yeah. for 2011. There was a frost in the spring in 11. Yeah, in April. Yeah, and so everybody got hammered. And then there was like a second set and all that. And it was really light. And then it ended up being a super cool year. And so people were kind of a blessing in disguise because you didn't hang too much fruit or else you would have been hosed. You know, all this stuff, right? Law, above 1,600 feet. So they're 16 to 1,900 Above 1,600, no frost. They had two and a half tons an acre that year. I mean, it was crazy. And Alta Kalina is in the same deal. You know, they're above that frost line. And, dude, there was no frost issues and all that for 11. Wow. Totally different. But they still had the long, slow growing season. Sure. You know, so. They still enjoyed that. Yeah. It's pretty wild. It is interesting. Yeah, just looking at the weather thing that comes out for the PRWCA, you know, law is just... Is that warm up there? It's How crazy, is that even possible? Well, do when you look at the growing degree day accumulation, yep. you know, like... Templeton Gap will be 2,900 or whatever, and Law will be 4,300. You know, it's it's higher than Shannon. It's crazy. But it's not because it's 122 degrees, you know what I mean? It's it's because the curve is like this, right, where ours is like that. So it, it gets up to 75 to 95 and stays there for 16 hours. You know what I mean? It's that kind of a deal. Wow. Yeah. So um, what is that? When I go to the urinal and pee here, what am I reading? <laughs> It was, I was fascinated by it. It's yeah. a, a distant relative wrote that, you know, back in Boston years ago, and he was just a, he was a doctor. And so um, that was just one of the pages talking about alcohol and what it does to your life and lifestyle, apparently. So um, <laughs> it is so, really, really clever. It's yeah. really funny. And I was like, oh my God, I thoroughly am enjoying this. Do you have that like in print for people or do you? What no, do you- my dad has a copy of it. My older brother found a book somewhere. Do you have like a PDF of it or anything? Um, Just take a picture, dude. And yeah, it's hard with the light and the glass in front of it. <laughs> right? I tried. Yeah, and then right. I'm just like, yeah. now you just see a reflection of Adam at a urinal taking yeah. a picture. This is yeah. weird yeah. now. Exactly. But oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I literally tried and, and wanted to because I thought it was so cool. That was yeah. really neat. Thanks for hanging out, dudes. Yeah. Thanks absolutely. for having us, man. Guys, thanks. Cheers. Let's yeah, cheers. Yeah. 
to Paso oh, and to the small but mighty. That's the theme of, nice. of this episode. Both the names that we're going to enjoy here, Thatcher, Torin, not a huge production, but I mean, these are mighty names. They represent Paso in a very incredible way. So I'm really excited to, to taste some of the wines and just to catch up with you guys. I mean, look, things are kind of like up and down. Where are we at? Right now, we're, we're here. We're at Thatcher. Sherman, how have things been? COVID, open, close. What's the latest with you guys? Well, I mean, we're open again, and we're super happy, and the sun's out, and we just got the rain that we desperately needed, so we're looking, we're pretty happy about everything. How many inches of rain you get? We got 11.99, so basically a foot of rain here wow. at the property, and as you go a little bit further west, I think they got more, and as you go east, it, it starts to drop down a little bit, but, um, you know, it was a great event for all of Paso. We, it basically looked like the end of October as far as... Uh, the amount of plants growing, you know, a week ago, and you can already see green now that it's rained, starting to pop out everywhere. I mean, it is still really brown, but it's going to be awesome for cover crops. And no puddles, no issues. I mean, like a break here from all my peripheral, it looks like it you fared well. Yeah, most of it went in the ground. We had um, we didn't have any runoff on Wednesday, where we got almost probably seven or eight inches. We had a little runoff on Thursday. Um, the the soil had soaked up enough and. But um, no, no major damage. It just kind of went down the drainages that it was supposed to. And my, my kid ran out and got it muddier than normal. And <laughs> dogs came back dirty, and we had to, like, right. <laughs> lock them in a different room. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, we're super excited. And the weather looks like it's going to perk up this uh, weekend. So we're yeah. looking forward to just having people come. And we're back. open, right, guys? Yeah. Torn, you open? We're open, yeah. We're Actually, this weekend is kind of the the reopening after the the lockdown and all that stuff so yeah wow, that's no, exciting congrats yeah, super sick what about the rain with you we were just shy so it's kind of funny we're what is sherman probably half half mile from here three yeah, quarters of a mile far. maybe i don't know um super close to here we had about 11 and a half inches of rain so you know he's a little bit closer to the hills here um we had a little bit less and man we have this gnarly driveway i was i thought for sure you know with the wind and the rain i thought uh, you know, I wouldn't you know, be able trees to, everywhere on oh, the yeah. driveway. Yeah. yeah, I thought for sure I wouldn't be able to get out of my house without a chainsaw. You know, yeah. Um, it's like you said, it sucked it up, man. It was amazing. There was like no runoff at all. Well, all uh, the big meteorologists were like, "It's haven't seen this kind of storm or rain since 1995." And I'm thinking in my head, "Shoot, I didn't live here in 1995, so yeah. I better." So I, the first time in my life, I like went to like Sinsheimer Park, mm -hmm. got some burlap bags just in case because I have a garage. I don't want water to go in there. You know, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know. Didn't didn't need any of them, but you know, yeah. at least I got my cardio in for that day or my my yeah. lifting. So yeah. I saw no, that same quote from John. It yeah. said 1995, and I was like, huh. Yeah, John Lindsay, right? Where the yeah. heck was I in 1995? Yeah. I don't really, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't here. So. I don't know what to do, but but I, not, we didn't need any of it. It was fine. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Well, it's different that, you know, we didn't have anything before that. Yeah, we were at an inch and a half of rain before that, and then we yeah. got another 11 and a half in three days, right? So, like Sherman said, everything was so brown and dry, and the ground was so thirsty. You know, what was it, 16 into 17? You know, the winter is 16. Um, it, it, there was rain all over the place, and, man, the, the creeks were flowing. There was mud all over the place, and, you know, with after two or three inches of rain in a storm, but the ground was so saturated now. I mean, it was so dry. I, I was kind of surprised that it was that dry, but it sucked it up like it was no problem. Yeah. Um, the theme, again, to the episode, small but mighty. Talk about your case production, uh, Sherman, with Thatcher, and then, uh, I mean, I could tell you why i find you i had a great conversation with mike dawson on the way up here and he was talking about you and uh, just a great conversation on the brand and why you know we think you're mighty but how you got to where you got uh, with the production where you're at and and you're in your the, the, ch the choices that you make in your winemaking are sometimes really out of the box they're so passo and they're really exciting well you know it's uh I don't know. We've, we've grown very gradually, um, just trying to be responsible. It's, it's always tempting to buy more and more fruit, but we did our first vintage in 2004, and it was like 400 cases, and then I think I did 400 cases the following year, and then maybe 600, and just gradually chip away, and you know, it's, it's hard because you're trying to predict what your demand's going to be two years in advance, you know, a lot of the time, and sometimes a year, depending on whether it's white or, or a short-age program or something, but... Uh, but yeah, we've just been growing slowly with demand, and and um, we only just went into really distribution last year, which you know it's it kind of like April Fool's Day. We, it, that was our first day, and we we signed up with JNL, and uh, we're like, okay, here it comes, and then all of a sudden everyone's closed, and <laughs> right. But, but um, we're up at around forty five hundred to five thousand cases now. Yeah, it's fun. We we uh, how do you hunt the fruit when you want to scale up slowly and meet the demand, and yet still. Kind 
kind of keep your, I know your hands are, are on, you're, you're gonna, you guys got a very kind of hands-on approach here. What is, um, how do you kind of, when, when you, when you want to scale like that, how do you hunt out, hunt out that fruit? Cause you've got a lot of great, a lot of great connections to some great fruit beyond your estates. Well, we we try to be responsible and we try and let go, you know, one, one contract as we add another, but, um, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. We, we started a little program for, uh, kind of more unique varietals a couple years back and I thought this is great you know this will give me an opportunity to work with these varietals I don't know much about and there aren't too many producers producing it and so we started buying those and then the problem was that you know we were supposed to do it for like a year or two and then move on and do something else but uh we enjoyed making it so much and we liked it so much we're like well we should probably hold on to that one because everyone really digs that and what's fun so- about that because i mean obviously you, you do a zen you do a cab you do those wines yep. what's fun about these kind of you know off the beaten path varietals well it's just you know it's the whole thing about winemaking is it's you know it's a learning process every day and whether you're making the same thing every day or something different every day but you know it just adds a little bit more excitement to things and keeps you entertained you're working with different people different vineyards everyone does things differently you have you know different locations different orientations of the vineyard different farming techniques and they all kind of make a play in in the final product obviously so it's just uh keeping us on our toes and you know you you figure out what different varietals um where they're at and it's not like a strict number of phs or you know different varietals do better at different you know phs and acids than others and so you know, we'll definitely play around. We're going to try the Cinso a little bit later. It's got to be fun, Scott Holly, to try a, a Cinso here. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what definitely. I mean? Like, yeah. And he does a fan. I love the way he approaches it, too. I mean, yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, he, he obviously can talk about the wine, but, we you know, it's just, it's so pretty and vibrant and, you know, and it's got this kind of weedy undertone that's super cool. And it's just, you know, when we're dealing with all these really big, heavy-handed reds a lot of the time, man, to right. try something so bright and fresh and vibrant, it's really kind of refreshing. It's pretty cool. Did you ever think in 04 when you began that you would be making Cinso or just messing with these kind of off-the-beaten-path varietals? In 04, I thought I was going to do maybe five or six different Zins. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> you know, I visited Paso when I was in college, and that was basically all I drank here. And I thought, okay, I'll just get a bunch of cool old Zin vineyards, and that's what I'm going to do. And we do we do three different Zins still, but um, definitely diversified a little bit. I think we had, uh, I have to ask Daniel, I don't know, it was like 20 different varietals this last year. So <laughs> Wow. Was there, Scott, different varietals that you're like, I don't, I don't expect me messing with those later on, but you're like, you just got bit by it? I mean, you've been doing, you've been in the game a while, too. Yeah, you know, over the years, I mean, we've messed with all kinds of varietals, and um, not for just Torn, but for all kinds of projects I've been involved in, and some of them stick, some of them don't, you know? You try something, you think it's great, you end up with it for a couple of years, and some of the, you know, plant material ends up virus, whatever it is, but it's really fun to play with, man. Um, you know, my first job out of college was at Fetzer. Right, so you imagine you know, they had four million cases of wine. Yeah, if you're going to deal with a varietal, you deal with it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know you see all these different things, and it's uh, you know obviously the beauty of wine and seeing all the the diversity and and differences is incredible, and just Paso in general, the fact that you can do so many different things here. It's just, I mean, it's just another feather in the cap of Paso with its its ability to do things so spectacular. I kind of want to talk about where wine took you both. And Scott, it's interesting because the first time I met you, it wasn't even with Torin; it was with Law. Okay. And uh, and I know that you've been you've consulted a bunch of different wineries. Like wine has taken you, and your acumen in making wine has taken you behind the scenes at a lot of different projects in Paso over the years. Sure. You know, honestly, I'm to I feel super grateful to have been a part of all these different projects over the years. But um, we started Torin uh, with a planting contract with Justin Smith, really, in 2002. And our first vintage was 2006. And that's always been the goal, right? That's always been the baby. That's been what we've set out to do from the get-go. Um, you know, we started out at Booker. Yeah. Then we ended up at Denner for a long time. Uh-huh, you know, right. Epic moved in. There was tons of people in Denner. Sure. So over the years, just working with a lot of different people. And it's just, it's such a fantastic area, right? Those are also huge names, yeah. though. Yeah, huge names. And Those are like the cool kids club right there. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> and you mix Thatcher in there. We got that. We got the whole crew. I mean, you got all people who are really pushing the limits and check all the boxes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I moved here in 2000. Um, made wine up in Mendo for a few years before here. But when I, when I started Torin, 
and you know prior to that I worked at Summerwood you know we started Summerwood and um, a lot of people would come in and there were a lot of people making wine and I was one of the few people probably in the area that they were bouncing ideas off that went to school for enology got a degree and all that kind of stuff yeah so it's kind of a bunch of cowboys out here you know and it's it's amazing to see the caliber of wines that have come you know because one it's a fantastic area um, the fruit's incredible but the passion and the drive of all the people and the the camaraderie and the the lack of competitive energy and the more the cooperative energy has been fantastic and all these people get together and we share stuff and you know 10 years down the road all of a sudden you got you know someone that came from some business completely different making you know 100 point wines it's just it's unbelievable stuff but to have been a part of it and you know to see for me with the consulting thing when I started doing that it was an opportunity to continue to learn about the area you know you only buy from so many vineyards or grow from your own vineyard or whatever it is but when you deal with all these other places, you get to see them from the from the ground up. You know, all these were startups. Certainly a benefit for you, but yeah. also, I mean, obviously for the, ben- the benefit of the people that are hiring you. How did you How did you figure out like, oh, this is a this is a this is a vehicle. This is a smart and like, I mean, I think it's great that you're like, oh, I can actually learn a ton through this. Yeah, it was great. You know, it starts with holes in the ground. You know, you walk around a vineyard, you, you dig a hole, and you see what's in there. Um, yeah, and then you decide what to do with it. Um, when I first came here, the the driving factor was understanding the differences in the soils and the hillsides and all these different things and and comparing them because I was very fortunate with opportunities to make wine and to travel and to um, spend harvest in other countries and work with winemakers from all over the world that's different stuff and then you come here and you realize that this has every bit of potential as any place I'd been on the planet, you know? I mean, you'd get these wines that have centuries of history and, you know, multiple bottlings at $1,000 a bottle, all this crazy stuff. And then you taste, you know, I was tasting Pebble Smith's wine he was making in his garage. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is the left, this is the driveway. This is the stuff that he doesn't pick for anybody else. He's making homebrew that I was tasting next to Hinchke's Hill of Grace. You know what I mean? It was just unbelievable how how spectacular these wines were. So that was kind of the drive. How important was that fruit, um, that the Saxon's estate, to kind of building this brand of Torin? Well, you know, it was really just the, it was kind of lit the fire. You know, it was sort of the match. Because um, as I said, I was making wine for Summerwood at the time. And, you know, as everybody knows, the wine industry is not an easy business to to make a living at. You sure. Know, to start. Yeah, try radio, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, the, the capital, the amount to get into right. this is insane, right? So I, I was under no... So how, to, how to make a million bucks, spend two million bucks on a, exactly. on a winery. Yeah, so I came in with nothing. Right. right? And I'm like, dude, how am I, how am I ever going to have my own brand to figure this out? Right? Yeah. So I was making wines this summer when Justin Smith came to me and said, hey, man, we're, we're replanting a couple of blocks. You want some fruit? And I was like, oh, yeah, Summer would love some fruit. He's like, no, no, do you want some fruit? And it had never actually, you know, occurred to me that, that we would be able to do that. I thought that's a great start, right? So we committed to half an acre of Grenache and a half acre of Syrah from James Berry Vineyard in 2002. Wow. Um, at the same time, we had done a planting contract for fruit at Booker um, for Summerwood. Well, in 05, he subdivided some of that acreage off. And so I had told him, I want Syrah here. I want Grenache there. I'd done all the plant, the rootstocks, the spacing, the, all this stuff. And then he's like, well, hey, man, why don't you buy it? You know? And so my first response was, don't you need money to buy stuff? You know? <laughs> <laughs> they don't just, like, give it away, do they? But, you know, he said, here, man, talk to this guy. He gave me a card of a guy that worked at a bank. And next thing I know, man, I'm in escrow with no money at this, you know, crazy time when they're giving money for, you know, everything. Yeah. So acreage that we had. Like this is before like the subprime thing? It was dur- basically This right is there. basically right then. Right yeah, there, sure. Yeah. And so next thing I know, we own a property that we had done planting contracts with right at the same time that James Berry came into production. You know, the, the piece, the portion of James Berry that we contracted with. And so initially, I was assuming that the James Berry piece would be kind of its own standalone deal. But it turned out that, you know, blending some of that fruit with some of the fruit we had on Anderson Road really kind of created the wines that we were looking for. And Torrance started in 06, man. And it was, you know, three wines, 283 cases. That was total production. Where are we at now? Uh, now we're about 2,800. Uh, we're looking to get about 3,000 cases here with the, you know, with the 19 vintage. Yeah. You know, like when a band says like, hey, we're kind of like a da-da-da, like a band explains to someone who maybe hasn't heard their music what they are about. Each of you kind of talk about what your brand, your wine, what is it you want to say? What's the elevator speech for telling someone who's never tried your wine and maybe you don't even have a bottle of it on hand, but just like what kind of winemaker, what kind of wine you want to get out there, Sherman? Well, we're starting to really focus on kind of fresh fun wines, um, a lot that you can enjoy maybe earlier in the day. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, some of these reds, like, <laughs> like a Cinso, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a transition wine, I call it. You know, you're you're converting from white to red, and, and you need something, you know, in the late afternoon. But, you know, some of these, a lot of these wines we're picking earlier. We do all our wines. We do natural fermentation. We don't add bacteria. We don't add acid water. So, basically, we're just kind of trying to really promote what we're getting directly from the vineyard, and it makes it critical, you know, the pick dates. Otherwise, you miss that, and then you're trying to figure out what you're going to blend to it to try and bring it back down. And the reason for the high acid, because that's what goes great with food. Yeah, exactly. And so um, a lot of it is uh, acid-driven picks. And uh, luckily, you know, we, we planted a new vineyard, and it's in a great spot. And so we have a lot of good acid, um, kind of an acid bank there for any vineyards that aren't producing as much acid. And, and some of the varietals, you know, they fall off pretty quickly, too. So... Um, but I would say uh, we're kind of going down the path of, of picking things a little bit earlier than some some others and, and just keeping things a little bit more fresh and kind of more food-driven, I guess. Yeah. Scott, what do you think? How do you describe it? You know, we, from the, from the get-go, we sort of had this philosophy that we're just going to make wines we enjoy drinking, and we're going to find enough people that agree with us that we get to keep doing it. Um, and so... Really, what we're we're trying to do is we're fortunate enough to be in this area that has so much potential, and we're just trying to make really honest wines, wines that um, wines that represent their their personal, they're personal to me, they're personal to my wife. You know, it's just it's something that we put a lot of ourselves into, and so hopefully we see that some of that passion going into it comes out the other side of it. Um, and the idea that the way we approach the process is that wine is this this unbelievable has this it has this ability to develop and age you know over time with just grace and beauty and and it's it's never the same you come back and you get to follow it it's an evolution right and so our goal is to make wines that one for those of you that drink wine younger great you know the wine's going to be great in the first couple of years to can it fantastic for those of you that have sellers you want to sit on this thing and hang on to it for seven to ten years that's great too you get to come back you get to watch the evolution of the thing but it's really just in understanding that this area, after having had the opportunity to see so many other areas with so much history and potential, is we just want to be a piece of that, right? We just want to have contributed at some point to the evolution of this area that, that maybe when you look back and you pull out an old bottle of Torrin somewhere, you're going to go, man, I, you know, I remember that 15 years ago. That was, you know, I remember that vintage. Or I remember where I was or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we want to be as, um, I think, texture for us is as important as the way wine feels is is as important as the way it smells or tastes um so we're very texture driven um so you want you want your wine to have a consistent way that it feels yeah we don't holes right we want front to back presence yeah but our goal is not to make heavy-handed wines we don't want to make wines that that are going to beat you up right we don't want to get clubbed over the head but we have this um we have this opportunity to make these unbelievable wines that somehow manage to walk that line between power and finesse Right, and so sometimes you have to sacrifice one way or the other, but it, it's incredible when they when they're cohesive, when they really work together, and you've got the texture and weight and power and all this, and then you've got this pretty beautiful balance and grace and finesse and like Sherman said, acidity. A lot of it's in that soil that we have that gives us that freshness that keeps them honest. And so, yeah, I think our wines are just about balance. Is what we try to get. I was talking to uh, Jordan Fiorentini from Epic. She is my winemaker crush. She is just <laughs> so good. I love her wines, and she's a, such a great human. About the idea of making wines that you desire to pair so well with food, and both of you gentlemen fall into this category, and it's like, you're tasting your wines from um, the inception, and when you're first starting, you know, barrel tasting them, and how are they performing and maturing to when they're in the glass and then you know you're tasting them even after that but the, one of the only times that you get a chance to like re-envision your wine in a way is when it's paired with a food or a meal or maybe a chef you're doing a winemaker dinner with them that takes this wine that you have tasted maybe at nauseum you know like at the back of your hand but it like comes alive in a different way i just kind of wanted each of you to talk about how fun that must be i imagine that must be a lot of fun for you sherman Oh yeah, I mean, food is 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 what wine was basically made for. You know, I mean, it's it's fine having a glass in the afternoon, but uh, you know, sitting down and having a meal and sharing food and sitting around with people is is really the way to do it. So, um, but feeling your wine come alive in a different way because of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah, they play off each other, and so it's sadly, you know, I've I've got young kids, so I don't cook 
as much uh, of, of stuff I, I want to try. Um, this, uh, mac and cheese, I mean. Dinosaur nuggets. All my stuff goes with mac and cheese. I right. yeah. that for sure. But, um, the is great yeah, with yeah, dinosaur yeah, nuggets. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Has there ever been like a dinner, Scott, where you're like, oh man, like I've never seen my wine come alive like this, or, or this is crazy, or I don't know, or something you remember like that, or things that stand out? Yeah, you know, there, there are. We did... Um, we haven't done too many events at the new place yet, um, but we did our, our first dinner there and it was really kind of rustic and family style. And um, it was really fun to, to kind of see the wines. We did a library dinner, right? So we got to do sort of the best of both worlds. One, we got to try wines with age on them. And then we got to try wines with age with food. And that was pretty fantastic. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting, and you know, you always got to have like a guy that bucks the trend or whatever, right? And so this conversation, I, I agree a hundred percent where it's going. But at the same time, right, when I look at how we spend an evening, I come to Sherman's house, we hang out, he's cooking, and, you know, Michelle's in there, and the, the food's amazing, and the wines are amazing, they're great with the food, and that portion of the night lasts, like, two hours. And then there's, like, three more hours after that, <laughs> right? And that portion, we're still drinking wine, right? So I think it's super important where you, you know, you've got a lot of wine that, that pairs well with food, and then there's wine that pairs well with food that you don't want to drink without food, Right, and so I would. I just want to make sure that for the for the wines we produce, whatever, if you pair these up with the right meal, it's it's ethereal, right? If you don't have any food at all, you're really going to enjoy these wines. And I of think course, that's, a, that's actually a really yeah. good point because I've never thought of that. You're right. Yeah. I mean, the dinner when we sit, when we come to table, if you will, yes, the food part may be x amount of time but often it is so much afterwards where either and, and sometimes i was talking to wes hagen about the idea of like you know sometimes when a wine is so good the conversation is not even about the wine what a great point one thing that we always kind of come back to with this show are the people and i mean obviously both of you are well entrenched in this community and well respected in this community the theme of this episode is small uh, but mighty talk about the dynamic and the power of people because small but mighty i think Obviously, both of these brands, small in production, mighty in the quality and the uh, the reputation that's represented here in Paso. But Paso as a wine region, I mean, yeah, we, we won wine region of the year in 2013. We are getting our dues for, for making world-class wine. And you're seeing um, PR and people, you know, chatting it up. Maybe talk for a second, uh, both of you, the small but mighty aspect of Paso wine country. Well, I think, you know, as Scott has, has talked about, you know, we are able to grow just a, a ridiculous amount of different varietals here well and we've got you know we've got the ocean right here so we've got cool uh, nights coming in every night with our diurnal uh, swing you know during the summer especially is is probably averages 40 but gets even um, above that closer to 50 and mm -hmm. so you know we get those cool nights every night to kind of retain acidity and as you get closer to the coast you're able to grow some of those cooler climate things and then um got elevation and then, yeah, we got elevation. As you get further out, um, you it gets hotter. We've got so sandy soils. We've got heavily calcareous soils. So, I mean, the, just the diversity is, uh, I've called it like a salad bar, you know. Like some regions you go and you just get, you know, your iceberg at the front and then you get your dressing <laughs> at the back. And then, you know, here in Paso, we've got, we got everything. We've got sunflower seeds and bacon bits and, you know, all the other stuff that you can throw it's in there. It's all and, about the and, bacon and, bits. I love it. Yeah, and so, I love it. so we're able to just go ahead and, 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 and work with all these different things. And, and a lot of it also is just, even if you're just making Zin or, you know, a single varietal, you know, we, we source Zin from five different vineyards and they are dramatically different, all of them. So, so we'll put together a hundred percent Zin um, blend, but it's three different, four different vineyards. And um, it just kind of raises the profile and the, the flavor of the whole thing because you've got all these different things to work with. See why most so. wine countries are a sizzler. We are like the Bellagio buffet. <laughs> you know, our salad yeah, bar is far, I love that analogy. Yeah. Super deep. Yeah. I'm totally yeah. <laughs> going to steal that. Uh, what, when you make, especially working with so many different brands, mm -hmm. what do you make of, uh, kind of expand a little bit on what Sherman uh, broke down and waxed so well on just the diversity of the, the topography, the soil types, what can grow here. I mean, 40, 50 different kinds of varieties do grow amazing here. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's unique, honestly. I mean, if you go to, you know, there's a reason that Burgundy grows Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, right? I mean, that's what they figured out they can do well. And, they, you know, if they tried to plant Maved there, good luck, right? So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, we, on Anderson Road, our property, there was 30 acres, and we had 10 acres planted to vines. And we had every aspect, north, south, east, west. So this is 10 acres of grapes. Just that's it, right? And our soil pH, if you look at the soil, 
on one hill was 8.2. On the top of the other hill was 6.8. That mean? So the high, the amount of calcium carbonate, this limestone in the soil, right, is crazy. So this is unique to this pocket. But when people talk about limestone and Paso Robles, it, it's not just everywhere, right? So the the challenge, what I was saying is that on that one property with that much diversity, we got Syrah, Grenache, Maved, uh, Tanat, Alicante, Cabernet Sauvignon. We had all these different wow. things on this property, and they all got to this fantastic level of maturity based on where you planted them. You know, so things that inherently are going to be overly acidic, maybe you don't want those in high pH soils, right? Because it's whole inverse related to a bunch of technical chemistry stuff. But yeah, um, when you get to that point, but you have, hey, just look over there, right around the corner, you got a, a hillside that might be perfect for this stuff. And so I think the the biggest understanding, the biggest shift that I've seen in the last 20 years was not necessarily forcing everything to go wherever you thought you wanted to put it, but figure out what actually goes well in that site. And I think that that's been the big shift, man. People are putting the right grapes in the right place, and it's amazing. And we're starting to do that now more than ever, I feel, because we've been settled here. I was talking to Joe Barton of Grey Wolf, and he's like, oh, I finally figured out, like, oh, this goes here. And, I mean, you're not the first person to say that to me. That's so interesting that Paso is really starting to figure out what goes where yeah definitely. per se that's really that's really interesting and you know a lot of that comes from sharing right we talk yes. about the whole the rising tides concept man when you go and i'm not going to bag on napa or anywhere else but there's you know when you oh talk come about- on let's do it a little <laughs> bit we're having some drinks yeah. <laughs> but no no one shares no one has the yeah. brethren brotherly sisterly love i mean i've done shows in those places yeah i love them mm-hmm. but they don't they don't do it like paso does yeah because you know when you're planting one grape across however many thousands of acres and you're trying to find your niche you know it's, it's really hard when you've got an opportunity to plant all kinds of things learning from your neighbor and what they've done at, that has worked for them or didn't work for them and and the willingness to share that because you know man i know if sherman does really well and he has somebody come in that's just this amazing buyer guess where he's going to send them he's yeah. going to send them right down the street to Torin, yeah. right and we're going to do vice versa so. but that requires the people are part of the recipe you're right sherman would send them down to Torin, yeah. and the people here are so a specific and special piece of that recipe are they not they are 100 percent, and a lot of that's why we came here in the first place you know i mean paso obviously is a fantastic area in the in the understanding that we could do we could achieve what what we wanted to we could make world-class wine you know in this location but man it was just hard to resist the the people and the willingness you know when i used to come down here for fetzer at my first job i said i come down and look at grapes pebble smith was the guy that would show us around at the vineyards and we'd hang out in his garage and um and just truly some of the most generous kind sharing people i'd, I'd ever met they take you under the wing like your family it's it's pretty remarkable and that wasn't unique Right? I mean, that was like everywhere you go. Hey, come on in. Hey, check this out. This is great. And, and that 20 years later, it's just like that. You know, I mean, you can go to anybody's place. And you, know, and you really feel a responsibility to, to keep that going, you know, when your brand starts in early 2000s and, you know, Sherman in 04. Like, yeah. I mean, the people, Sherman, we'll talk about that dynamic as far as you're concerned, just how special well, they are in this recipe here. Well, I mean... Uh, Basically, I, I started tasting in, in, in Paso Robles when I had, I'd finished up school and was making beer up in the, in the Bay Area, and my wife was going to UCSB, so I'd meet her halfway in between here, and we tried King City once, and there wasn't as much to do, so, um, but uh, anyway, we, uh, we'd meet here a lot and go wine tasting, and uh, there was one trip, uh, you know, early before we'd moved down here, and I was, I was making a little bit of wine up in the Santa Cruz Mountains then, but... Uh, we swung by Peach Canyon out on Peach Canyon Road, probably right at like 4.50 or something. You know, the, the tasters that we typically don't really want to entertain because it, <laughs> then they stay for an hour or whatever. But uh, right. so anyway, I, I rolled in and uh, opened the door and, and Doug Beckett, um, he's like, oh, sorry, buddy, we're, we're closing up. I'm like, ah, that's cool, whatever, you know. And, and then he stuck his, his, his head out the door and he saw my wife like standing halfway out of the door and he's all, huh. Maybe you guys can come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we rolled in. I ended up, we ended up going back and, and barrel tasting. We were there till like 9.30 that night. Wow. And, uh, it was our last episode. It was a great, yeah. was a great and, conversation. Uh, and then the next time we stayed at his house. 
Wow. Yeah, he just put us up. His boys were at college, and he's like, hey, rooms are open. Why don't you guys just come stay down there? And so, you know, things like that in the early days. He had days, a big I- crush on Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. that's really sweet. It's a really sweet story, and that is so Paso, and that is really emblematic of just that kind of open heart, open mind, open cellar, just open arms, you know, come, be, check it out, be yeah, part so, of it. So in the early days, I, I did a little distribution on the East Coast, and I used to travel back there with another winery from here in Paso, and we'd just take each other's wines out. So I'd bring mine, and then I'd bring his because we were going to different areas. And he'd go up to Maryland, and I'd go to D.C. or whatever, and I'd sell my wines. And when I'm done talking about mine, I'd just go right into his and sell his. And he did the same thing, and that way we covered twice as much territory. That's so cool. And, yeah, we would do shows together. We'd go in and do tastings together, share a table. And, uh, yeah, it was great. And, you know, just trying to help each other out. Yeah. keep the ball rolling so i love stories like that i love you know um gary eberly just won that legends award with wine enthusiast and one thing that always stuck with me that gary always talked about was that if paso doesn't succeed eberly's not going to succeed you know and and you see so many people embody that but what's so cool about paso is that uh, the eberly's the doug beckett's and that the toby's at the time ushered that in and then you start to see like the next guard usher that in and you just hope that like that keeps going because paso is such a special area and it's really neat to see that kind of keep evolving and almost like avalanching and becoming bigger and i think it's growth and it's charm is because of it yeah a lot of that and you know honestly if you look at sherman and myself and eric jensen and justin smith and matt travis you name it right um they they live there they work there they send their kids to school and yeah. you know i mean we our, our families are growing up in this area and, and it's part of who we are. And, you know, for us to be able to share this with each other, it's just community. Yeah, you know? so, it really is. And you see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to like do, I did an interview with Matt Trevison and then saw him at the Nutcracker where his daughter was performing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So like it, yeah. it literally is that special. Um, let's talk Torin about the wines that you poured that first, that 2018, the blend of that. And then what was that second one that I seem to have finished? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So the first one was the Maven. Yeah. It's 100% Grenache. Yeah. Right? It's a combination of full draw vineyard and G2 vineyards. So both uh, Willow Creek AVA, one a little higher free lime, a little tighter spacing, one a little bit older planting, a, a little more finesse driven. You put them together, impeccable balance, really captures the spice and herb and, and secondary characteristics that you look for in Grenache. Um, and our goal with that was to really try to make it as 100% Grenache as we as we can from year to year. We do some co-ferments here and there that kind of throw wrenches into it for fun, but um, that's the gist of the Maven. The second wine uh, you just drank is a, a new wine, actually. So it's called Le Devois. It's it's sort of the byproduct of an accident, you know, which is always kind of fun. Right? I love these stories. So, <laughs> so it's it's Saran Graciano. Um, so the oh, whole, the Graciano you know, goof, the Graciano <laughs> goof, right? And well, let's the, let's kind of paint this picture for someone who is just hearing this, because if you're in the wine biz and if you're in Paso, you know exactly what the Graciano goof was. But and we and I've talked about with Justin Smith because he was one yeah. who discovered this, and yep. uh, all these folks in Paso thought they were getting Moved. Yep. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't kind of performing like Mavet and Justin was like, hey, you know, to the nursery, this isn't, I don't know. And they're like, no, it is. He's like, no, I don't know. And they're like, no, it is. He's like, I'm going to do a 23 and me on this. Yeah. Put this through Ancestry.com, see what's good. <laughs> no, it's, this came back not as Mavet. So a right. lot of people who thought in Paso they were getting Mavet, turned out it was Graciano. Yeah. And I've heard some people say, this is great. Some people say, we're rolling with the punches. We're going to make do. Where did this fall into your portfolio? Where it was being grown and um i mean the wine tastes fantastic yeah it's you know the the the, we don't do any adjustment to our wine right we don't add acid we don't add yeast we don't do anything right it's just grapes come in they ferment they go into bottle it's pretty simple yeah so any adjustment that we do is based on blending right so the the fantastic thing is when you get this real diverse profile of wines coming into the cellar it gives you a lot of options to paint a picture that's really complex and interesting right so for me, it was a blessing in disguise. This stuff comes in amazing color, fantastic acidity, beautiful tan, and just, you know, black fruit. And it's just gorgeous stuff. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be, but it's still fantastic, right? So I know there was a choice in what do you do? Do you go in, you rip it out, you graft it? What do you do? Um, we embraced it completely. Um, so, but the deal was we got to find a home for it. Uh, uh, the, the vineyards that we get this stuff from, man, it is, it is so acidic that you literally, it, there's no way I could bottle this on its own. You know, the Graciano. So it makes about 25% of this blend. Cool. Right? But as a piece of that, 
unbelievable as a structure backbone, you know, a, a piece of a, of a bigger picture. So And a great story. And a great story, right? I mean, <laughs> and it, it's just... So Le Devois is like the duty. It's your your assignment, your your work, right? So our goal was where do we where do we put this thing? Where do we find a home for where it belongs? And and what we did is we made actually two wines. One Le Devois that we released in the spring, and then one's called Seneschal that we do in the fall. Um, this Syrah Graciano piece. Then we have a Grenache Graciano. And the deal was because of the diversity of soils, all this stuff, we get Syrah that comes in that's just unbelievably varietal, varietally correct and fantastic and amazing. A little bit higher pH. Guess what? Graciano comes in with some acid. Beautiful blend, mm-hmm. right? So it gave it an opportunity, and so now we have a home for one one of our most one of our favorite Syrah vineyards that just comes in happens to be a little high pH. Great. Now we've got this fantastic acid driven. Is that G two? No, G two is low pH. I oh, mean, I see. Okay. Yeah. So G two comes in acidic. This is actually Hawks Hill. Oh, okay. Hawks, it's a high yeah, elevation. Yeah. We uh, did a show. Uh, we did a podcast with Top Winery. Yeah. And um, Bill from G two was yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, you mentioned G two was in that that second blend, right? That was in the first one with the Grenache. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And you know that's a fantastic site right over here in Willow Creek. Yes. Um, so you know all of our grapes that we don't grow, the grapes that we purchase, everything's done by the acre. Right, so we come in and we talk. We do. We control the farming. We do all this stuff. But what it does is, even if I had the opportunity to grow a hundred percent of our fruit, I don't think I'd take that opportunity, because I think the the beauty of of all this diversity that you'd be missing out is these fantastic little pockets, right? So our goal is to probably grow about 50% of our fruit and buy 50% of our fruit. Yeah. So we can kind of use these little areas to do these fantastic things. So so this wine, honestly, man, turned out like better than I could have hoped. I mean, Heck it was yeah. just unbelievably good because it captures all that great, or, or that, that kind of meaty, savory, blueberry, smoky essence of Syrah that's just fantastic. And then all of a sudden you get this acidity that, that gives it balance. So like we said earlier on, we talked about our style and what we're looking for. Right. We don't want monolithic one-dimensional wines we want multi-dimensional wines and so this gives us a chance to kind of collect that beauty of the Syrah that we're looking for in this particular wine Akasha is our 100% Syrah that's a whole different animal you know olive tapenade uh, blueberry cobbler all these different things that we get from some of our cooler sites you know but when you get a little bit warmer site like this it's still beautiful wine you know and you just got to find a way to make it fit into that profile that you're kind of looking for without adjusting it other than just naturally with other grape varietals you know it's always fun to see the ageability of paso wines and i'm sure sherman uh scott when you get to chance to open one of your wines out of the cellar out of the library and it just opens up good you are just like ooh, that is where it's at <laughs> and 2011 was a really fun year for paso it's an interesting year because it was cooler it was more wet uh, some folks experienced a, a wild a early april a frost we have a library bottle that torin uh, brought to share 2011 represents um Folks who make great wine, they are proud of 2011 because it is a really, really cool and interesting year. It, you know, it really was. 2011, crazy year. And I'm going to start real, real quick the story, just a little brief story. Um, Eric Jensen and I were in North Carolina at the Triangle Wine. Eric Service. from Booker. Eric from Booker. He was right. on, like, we talked to him earlier in this podcast. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, one of the greatest heard personalities he, in there. He, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, heard, sure. He loved the podcast so much, he started his own. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I'm going to be on it, too. Yeah. Well, he and I were in a cab at, like, 3 in the morning. With jealous, crazy high flying, you know, 30, 100 point wine kind of producing um, Napa wine consultant guy, right? And this is a while back. Yeah. And somehow 2011 came up, and his, his comment was if our 11 suck, everybody's 11 suck, right? And I was like, dude, you're an idiot. I'm like, there's 300 miles between us. Yeah. Our 11s are amazing. The unfortunate part is for a lot of the critics and stuff, they sort of were on his bandwagon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of a sudden, if it's 11, it's bad, it's not good, whatever. Yeah, funny, they'll just listen yeah. to a year and go, mm, sh- eh. Yeah. So, it was kind of crazy. We did a, a 10-year vertical with Jeb Dunnick not too long ago. Our 11 got 99 points. <sighs> you know what I mean? It was just, it was crazy because you're looking at a wine for what it is, not for what you think it should be, right? And so... Amen. Yeah, so it was pretty pretty incredible, right? So, um, 11 frost in the spring like you mentioned and one of those situations where it's kind of a blessing in disguise right so such it ended up being this ridiculously cool year but because you had the frost you had really low yields and so you got low yields in a cool year plenty of hang time i remember we picked all this stuff the beginning of november 
and it was fantastic, right? We didn't get much, you know, we're in some of our straw was down to like half a ton, three quarters of a ton an acre kind of thing. But what we got was fantastic. And I was like, dude, these guys are all wrong. This stuff is incredible. So now it's kind of fun. We're coming back almost 10 years later. Um, this is actually the Banshee, right? So um, the third release that we have in the spring is the Banshee. Um, again, we're on 18, but I think it'd be kind of fun to take a look at something a little older. I said, we're, we're pushing 10 years old, but the big piece of this is actually Maved. So it's a Syrah, Maved, Grenache blend. And it's the only blend of ours that gets Maved, you know, in, in the blend. But the the crazy thing is, is how able we're, or how able we can get this, mature in passerolas right so when we're sitting here sherman was talking about proximity to the ocean and all this kind of stuff we're very close so we can get things like syrah the syrah piece of this you get that kind of that olive flint and mineral this really beautiful characteristics from the syrah but you get that saddle leather and herbs and spice and underbrush and all this really cool things from the bed because it actually gets ripe it's on the west face and thin soils you know um so this is all from our anderson road property um, so the Sarla Grenache and the Maved piece of this. Um, but I, our goal from the get-go... What do you think, a little pocket over there? Like, I think of some of the different brands on Anderson Road. Yeah. You just have a little pocket, what, next to Catapult, next to Epic stuff, or what? So we're a little bit... So we actually shared a border with Stefano Laventure. Okay. Right, so kind of when you go around the Live Oak side, um, you get to Laventure, as you come through his property, we had a, a... We were landlocked between Booker and Laventure. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, so we're kind of sandwiched in there. But there's this big band of this really high free-line <laughs> soil that runs through there that goes all the way through Laventure, through Booker, through Torrens Old Property that I actually sold back to Booker and to buy the Peachy Canyon property. And... Then uh, into Connor McMahon's at Full Draw, and it's just it's incredible stuff. Sounds like it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are all like fantastic yeah. names. I mean, obviously, the this area is growing some pristine yeah. fruit. Yeah, it's really incredible. You know, originally you go back in the day, people didn't think wines from Paso could age. You know, they thought, oh, they're big, kind of single, mm -hmm. monolithic sort of overripe yeah. wines. But man, you look at this thing's a baby. It's like it's got years ahead of it. Yeah. But it's unbelievable to me texturally how these wines open up aromatically. The, the I could see how texture you mentioned earlier on the show. Yeah. The texture was a yeah. thing too. I could see that yeah. in these wines. If you talk about ageability, like I remember opening up. I mean, Gary's nineteen eighty cab mm. still opens up, and you're like, man, that's bitching. I mean, that's that's uh, that that is a testimony. At least you know a forty year one yeah. for Paso, <laughs> and it's, I can't yeah. wait to see where these. Where these go, how often do you both kind of dig into the library, just, you know, get a wild hair and go in there and see what's up? Not that often. Not man. very often, no. <laughs> so I need to come visit you guys. We've got, we got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go yeah. back there and look. Maybe we can crack one yeah. after the show here. But yeah. uh, That'd be I was, fun. I was and, stoked you did this so we could do it. Yeah, yeah no, this is good. I'm glad you brought this. I mean, that's a lot of, it's like barrel tasting. People are like, oh, I bet you do that every day. And it's like, oh, actually, it's just kind of, you know, someone comes by and says, hey, uh, can we go barrel tasting? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, should do that. We taste yeah. it when we have to, but right. you know, no, of it's, course. it's not as, yeah. it's not as uh, often as uh, one would think. So I think I could yeah. talk to you guys probably like for another four hours. Like This is so much fun. Yeah. You guys have fun? Yeah. I had a great time. Oh, yeah, for Thank sure. Thank you so much for having this us. This blend is sure. tasting Awesome. We got one more wine from Sherman to try that. We got time, right? Yeah, of course yeah. we got time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, no, I just want to say, I mean, I want to play the wine game with you guys in a second. I don't know if we played the wine game before with each other. Um, maybe with you we did back at Law. Is that where you name all the wineries? Yeah, we're going around a little rapid fashion kind Dude, of thing. I'm 49. Oh, now. My geez. brain is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just I, had a know, birthday. It's over. I went to boarding school, you know, and uh, <laughs> it, it, one of the things that when the when the seniors would come tuck you in when you were a younger kid, they they'd do the candy bar thing. Right. And yeah. so they all pin you down and they start hitting you and they're like okay start naming candy bars and you're like oh yeah <laughs> well no there's this video that's gone viral and it's like a guy goes like man on the street type thing he's walking around like new york city and it's like name a woman name a woman go ahead and like they're like I, 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 name a woman name any woman <laughs> they can't do it it's like <laughs> Wait, what was boarding school like was that uh, I, I, my only boarding school experience was watching facts of life no uh, it, growing was, up. it was it was it was awesome that i mean that sounds bad but it, no, no i don't mean I'm just, it was just it was all in fun and yeah yeah yeah, but that's how, what was it like though? I mean, this is the school is where, it, it's where you, you know? live at school. Yeah, it, you know, you um, yeah, you're away from your parents who are, you know, t telling you what to do every second of your life. Right. And so it's up to you to kind of make things happen. And and what I, ages did you do that? Oh, I started pretty early. My mom's British, and so I went over to England in sixth grade. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Do you have any? Did you take anything from the 
culinary aspects of the UK or lack thereof? Do, do you mix beans on toast <laughs> yeah. or you know there were some you make a pretty liked, you make yeah. a pretty bitch in cup of tea? You know, like uh, stewed tomatoes on fried bread for breakfast. I mean, that was that was a thing. I haven't. I don't think I've had it in maybe 25, 30 years. But I like beans boy, on toast. Good. Yep. So we'd get a. Uh, Sometimes we get steak pie, and sometimes we get steak and kidney pie. Oh, goodness. Well, it looked the same. <laughs> so kidneys, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really like it that much. So Doesn't um, sound good. So you get like one or two bites in, you're like, oh, it's the steak pie right on. And so you take a huge bite, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kidney too. It's funny because it's one of these, you know, you talk about like Fran- French cuisine and like English cuisine isn't something that like you're like it is known for being like the bomb, but there are pieces of that culture that you could rip off of and go, oh, that's kind of cool. I'll shepherd's pie. Oh, I minty mean, peas. Oh, oh yeah. There's some I mean, things, there's right? Some really good stuff. I yeah, mean, no one does sure. beans yeah. on toast. I think beans on toast is pretty dope. I do like yeah. beans on toast. Oh, no, there's some good stuff for sure. I, what an interesting little piece. Bangers and mash. Bangers oh, yeah. and mash. Oh, yeah. For real. Look at this little piece of you that I never knew before. <laughs> that's so cool. When, you, when was the last time you've been back in England? Oh, boy. I don't know. It's, it's been a long time. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah. What did you pour here for us? Okay, so this is kind of fun. This is a, a Cabernet, um, 100% Cabernet Sauvignon from 2016. It's from uh, Clown Mine Vineyards, which is the Dodd family out here off of Clown Mine. And uh, it's 100% cab, all head trained, dry farmed, Oof. and 100%, I think it was 100% wool cluster. Hannah to Scott, he's got the progressive son. Oh, 50, yeah. no, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I should have looked at the notes first. 50% whole cluster, which is something unusual you'd do with Cabernet. Right. But, um, you know, we, we made this um, a couple years before, you know, for a couple years before that, and we were experimenting with different amounts and just trying to, you know, kind of balance the tannins correctly. And uh, we felt that a little bit of whole cluster inclusion was going to kind of give it the right roundness that we were looking for. And um, there's a little bit of new oak in this, but mostly Nutribellus again. And uh, Holly, what do you like about this cab? Yeah, it's great. I, so you know, good. The I think the the stem inclusion was key, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it really rounded that out. And you know, Cabernet has a tendency to be a little on the herbaceous side. Um, this has the herbal undertones that you appreciate from Cab, but the stem piece of it, I think, kind of rounds that out and fleshes it. Um, it's fantastic. I'm actually really impressed with the texture of this. I just realized I didn't try and dress like you today. I didn't try and wear my Scott Holly outfit. <laughs> I did. I did get the vest because I, I know the memo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the, the the black puffy vest is. A state. I think they actually hand one out when you become a winemaker at the graduation. They go, yeah. "You're a winemaker. You get a you get a black puffy vest." So I, I picked one up recently, but I didn't know. And maybe I was hoping we would kind of be <laughs> twinsies today. Yeah. But with with the shirt underneath it too, look at yeah, this. It's impressive. Um, where's your vet? Where's your puffy vest? Is it being washed right now? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's being laundered. You know, everyone's got one. I was wearing it on Wednesday when it was raining, and it just you know I missed all that. <laughs> you guys want to throw down the wine game for a minute? That'd be fun. All right, man. We'll give it a go. <laughs> I, okay, so, I, I almost guarantee we're gonna. Lose like it's not even gonna be close. All right, so the wine game is it's simple in perception because you're just gonna name wineries in a rapid fashion. The two things you don't want to do, one, repeat one that's already been said, and two, pause longer than three seconds. Either way you're out. Oh, I'm gonna be <laughs> I just paused. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We're just gonna name Paso Wineries. Gosh, this cab is so good, German. Thank you. This is fantastic, man. I kinda want a little inspiration. I wanna go for a little revisit of that twenty eleven. Absolutely. For the wine game. Here we go. Okay, so um, name a winery. Don't repeat one. Don't wait longer than three seconds. We'll go kind of this way. We'll start with you, Scott Holly Torrin. Go ahead. Booker. Topless Creek. Torrent. Laventure. Adelaida. Epic. Saxon. Peach Canyon. Chronic. Lenny Coletto. Jada. <laughs> oh, that was a long that was a long three in the key there, buddy. Oh, but it was fine. He still was an Opolo. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say Jada? Yes. Okay. Uh, Law. Um, Rangeland. Grey Wolf. Close to Lane. Via Creek. Desperata. Nakora. Uh, that sounds like three <laughs> seconds. All right. Sherman is out. It's Adam Montiel versus Scott Holly Torrin Wines. Wait, wait, we got to regroup. I know. I got to stand for this one. You guys are both saying, I got to get my. All right, here we go. And go ahead, Aaron Wines. Via Creek. 
Carmen's story. What? Via Creek was already said. You said Via Creek? He said, oh, oh I was a quick one. Scott Holly oh, is out. Jeez. That and means, I was proud of us. I thought I was on a roll. Yeah, no, you were doing good. You were doing super good. That means um, you're still like undefeated. I mean, yeah, I'm still undefeated. Have you ever lost? Well, the thing is, what I used to do, I have lost before, but I would make wagers before. Ah. And then so normally if I make a wager, and I shouldn't have done that before with both of you guys if I knew it was going to be that easy. And I would make a little wager, be like, hey, da-da-da-da, and then you'd be stuck giving me wine. But I didn't do that this time. So you guys <laughs> you guys skated. But uh, no doubt here we're at a beautiful, it's a beautiful day here at Thatcher. I'm going to get a bottle of that Cinso and some other ones from you. I can't wait to visit you, uh, Scott Holly at Torin. Uh, let's kind of go uh, really quick. How can people get a hold of you, learn more about you, and what are your... Uh, what are you doing right now? Are you, are you tasting? Are we outside? What are we doing? You want to go first? Sure. Right. Um, you know, we've got a website, like most people, uh, thatcherwinery.com. We spell Thatcher with just one T, T-H-A-C-H-E-R. So we are open for tastings outside. Most appointment is definitely preferable. If we're booked up and you don't have an appointment, then you're waiting in your car. So, yeah, the weather's... Uh, Starting to look pretty nice already. So I'd say hit them up, make an appointment because it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Yeah, we're getting into spring here already. We'll get at least some teasers. We'll probably still get some winter to show up. Yeah, I definitely encourage people to come by. Thatcherwinery.com? Thatcherwinery.com. Got it. Scott Holly, Torin. Yeah, torinwine.com. T O R R I N. Where'd the name come from? It's actually a, it's a Gaelic word, um, and it means of the hills. So it's really applicable to kind of the fruit sourcing in the area, and it yeah. really just kind of felt close to home. So we were naming our son, you know, and there's, uh, you know, those books with like 10,000 baby names. Right. We're going through. We got all the way to T. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised you got past Aiden. Every single, everyone, everyone seems to name their kid Aiden. Yeah. yeah. Or a derivative of it. So right. you, you got past Aiden, and, you, and then you got to what? Yeah, we got all, well, you know, we went through, we wrote down a couple of names. And long, we, we stumbled across Torrin. We didn't name our kid Torrin. But Of the Hills was the most, like, spot on name for our brand and it just happened to be at a time where we weren't even really looking but we knew that it was coming on the horizon so uh yeah so we we got it out of the baby name book that's really interesting (laughs) what a great place to get a name for a brand a baby name book and then when you did that a little bit before the time it became time to pull the trigger did you kind of already secure it and like kind of shh don't talk about what we're going to secure it and yeah we did you know we went through some of the the channels you know first thing you just google it right you're like who else yes you would be surprised i've talked to uh, trade uh, mark attorneys a surprising amount of their clients find themselves in hard times because they don't do some of these very simple things before they quote go to print yeah it's crazy and you know, virtually any word you can think of in almost any language is taken by a winery somewhere. It's, sure. It's insane. And now yeah. that beer's so popular, like every name's taken on. Yeah, yeah. it's like, a great yeah. point. And like, we've yeah. seen this. I mean, literally, I, I interviewed Terry Hogue, and he's like, wait a minute, I can't use my name? Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my last, there's a Holly up in Sonoma County. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, I couldn't use sure. that. So. Gosh. So anyway, yeah, that's where I came. So yeah, tornwine.com. Um, like always, we're open by appointment. We're outdoor only. Uh, so... Just a couple of seats. It's pretty limited. Uh, so I definitely recommend calling pretty far in advance. And uh, we'll get you set up, man. You can talk to David at the winery or whatever you need to do. What a great way to spend a little time on your next trip to Paso. Getting a hold of both Thatcher and Torin. They're not far from each other. And spending some time at one then bounce into the other. Uh, favorite place to like kind of hang out, eat downtown? Any little downtown scene things, Scott, you're into or what? Man, you gotta love, you know, what Julian's doing at LPC. I love LPC. I yeah. mean, holy moly, the little French place, yeah, yeah Stefano Sales Son. Yeah, you Killing gotta, it. you gotta get that uh, mushroom at the hatch. You know? Oh, <laughs> that thing's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's it's great to be downtown. I mean, I'm I'm excited they're able to eat outside the my my brothers and sisters at the at the restaurants down there, dude. I feel for you guys. I know it's been a struggle. Um, yeah, we had Debbie Thomas and Maggie Cameron on uh, yeah. one of the last episodes before the new year, and man, these folks need our love right now. Yeah, yeah. they definitely do. So more prior to them, man, they take care of us. We try to take care of them, send people their way. So you know, for those of you looking for takeout or you know some outdoor dining, take care of them. But mm-hmm. you know, the Paso being the, the culinary hub of the county, really. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. And, you know, it's, it's come a long way in 20 years, right? I moved here in 03. I can't even believe it. Yeah. They're all doing amazing takeout. You yeah. know, Il Cortile, oh. Thomas Hill Organics. Absolutely. Or catering. Like, 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 I've been yeah. to, like, you know, dinners or Christmas parties at a winery. And then you got Santos. And, yeah, yeah. and you got Il Cortile yeah. catering. You're like, woo. Yeah. You know, in Psalm's Kitchen, man, I know oh, that's Ian. tough. It's hard to get outside there. Um, but when that dude's open, what he does with food and wine pairing is Ian Adamo, he is one yeah. of a kind. Yeah. Yep. 
for pretty, sure. Yeah. So anyway, we are yeah. very lucky. We have a very unique yeah. thing going on here in Paso. You got to see. It was so interesting to listen to where wine has taken both of you gentlemen. And I hope uh, if you're listening to this and listening to just how real and, and just fun this conversation was, and if, I hope it felt like you were just sitting right here with us to see where wine takes you. It's better take you to Thatcher. Better take you to Torin, uh, gentlemen. What a fun visit. I can't thank you enough. Cheers to. Torn Thatcher in the Paso. Cheers, guys. Adam, Cheers. thanks, man. So give me that mm-hmm sound. We'll get by. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Wow. Can't thank those two gentlemen enough. For the time and the fellowship on and off the air, Sherman just made some cider, so we tried that. Then he walked both Scott and I into the cellar. We barrel tasted some of the latest stuff he's playing with. And if you are a fan now of either of these two brands or were before, you are in for a treat in their new releases. Now, before the conversation, I mentioned I'm going to be a guest on Eric Jensen of Booker Wines. He's got a new podcast called Popping Corks. And this is not going to be a podcast where Eric talks to winemakers or or geeks out on wines. Instead, he's digging into his contacts. He's talking to athletes, folks in the entertainment industry, and more. And, and breaks into great conversation in only a way that Eric can. He has an absolutely infectious personality. He oozes love for Paso, and he is only satisfied with success. So I am happy he is jumping into the pod game, and I'm thrilled I'm going to be a guest on an upcoming episode of his podcast called Poppin' Corks with the executive producer of this podcast, Joel Peterson of Paso Wine. It's going to be out, I think, in a couple weeks. So check it out. To find it, search for Popping Corks with farmer, winemaker Eric Jensen. Check it out on Spotify. I can't wait. Now, Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson of Paso Wine. Thanks to associate producer, Online Fulfillment, Art direction. I mean, she does all around everything. Badass gal, Jen Bravo. Original music performed by Moonshiner Collective. Find them wherever you get your music or at moonshinercollective.com. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this time and this space with me. Let's see what comes next and where wine takes you. And give me that the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify and good company. Give me that moon sound. Get by, we pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify and good company. Give me that moon sound. Get by, we pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify and good company. Give me that moon sound. Get by, we pass all around till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees who will simplify in good company.